0: All right, so today we're going to talk about what does Jesus look like? I want you to turn around and talk to somebody. Talk, get in a group of about three or four, five people, whatever, whatever's close to you. And uh, tell people what has influenced your image of Jesus, your visual image of Jesus. When you think of Jesus... Uh, what picture comes to your mind, and what influences that picture? What, what, where did you get that picture? Okay, so, uh, so turn around, talk to somebody, and tell them why you know what Jesus looks like to you. Okay. Alrighty. I, um, I'm sure you all have different uh, different ideas for me uh, I remember as a child growing up in church, and uh, in the lobby of our church, they had a great big picture on the wall of uh, of a, a man, Jesus and uh and he was standing at the door of a of a house and he was knocking at the door you know based on uh a, cha- a verse from the uh, revelation chapter 3 behold i stand at the door and knock and if anybody hears my voice and opens the door um so this was the 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 picture that was there so that 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 picture probably influenced me more as well as the flannel graphs i saw in Sunday school <laughs> which were pretty uh pretty you know Rudimentary kind of pictures um, I, I I got some pictures here and they uh, they're, they're going to look a little thinner because we're using a, a borrowed projector today because our projector is out of service but you know uh, different facets of the church have have had different, um, reasons for pro- projecting an image of Jesus, uh, uh, that are a little different. You know, on the left-hand side of this picture, you'll see a, a picture of Jesus in the Sacred Heart, and, uh, which is, which has g- got its, um, roots in, uh, Roman Catholicism and the Orthodox Church and the early Church. And, uh, and, you know, th- in, uh, in their pictures, they often incorporated different things about Jesus. Pictures were very important, uh, because people didn't read and people didn't have now, books or Bibles, so pictures were there, so stained glass windows, icons in the church were very important to tell a story and to tell something about it. So the, it wasn't about representing what Jesus really necessarily looked like as much as it did of telling part of the story of Jesus so that people would be left with an image that would impact them and they would understand something about Jesus. So oftentimes in those pictures, like this one on the left, you'll see Jesus has a halo and uh, because I, there was, a, there was a, a wanting to always bring into the, the concept that Jesus was both man and God. So you know, the divine coming in with the human. And so um, these images were important. After the Reformation, the Protestant Reformation, there was a move against... Uh, images of Jesus, especially in the area of worship. And uh, they were seen as being um, idolatrous that, you know, if you had images of Jesus in the church or on the walls or in the windows um, that, you know, people might be tempted to worship those, those images <clears throat> rather than Jesus himself. So the pictures of Jesus became much more, uh, much less. You didn't see them very often, especially within Protestant worship. Um, until the the Sunday school movement that I just referred to, the Sunday school movement which began probably about two hundred and thirty years ago where where uh children were taken off the streets of large cities like London and were educated on Sunday uh because they didn't they didn't go to school. They worked in factories during the, the uh the Industrial Revolution. They weren't able to go to school, but some people within the church thought it was very important for kids to learn to read, learn to write, learn the basic things. And so they held schools on Sunday, the only days that the 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 churches the factories were closed, right, so the children didn 't have to work on those days, so they had uh, what they called Sunday school and it was literally school, but they often because they were church people, they often incorporated the uh, the, the stories from the Bible and uh, learning to read using the Bible and all of those things so it was uh, the Sunday school movement then started introducing images of Jesus and trying to depict what Jesus might look like. So, the one in the center is probably something that you might have seen in a in a Protestant church uh, you know, in the last couple centuries um and uh, it would be one of the classic kind of pictures of Jesus. It doesn't have a halo, but he's like he's set set up for a perfect, you know, studio shot with backlighting on the on the back, you know, there so he's got a little glow behind him, but it's not on his head, it's behind him like he was, you know, in a in a studio or something like that for a photo photo shoot, you know? And, um, and these pictures, uh, uh, often picture Jesus, um, in, in, in a way that isn't really accurate because usually he was white. Uh, he had white skin and, uh, Europeans and then in North America often depicted Jesus having white skin. And part of that had to do with the fact that there was, you know, there was this very strong racist feeling against people of color. And, uh, but the truth of the matter is, is Jesus was a man of color um, being, uh, you know, Jewish in the Mediterranean. Um, he would look uh, more like some of your immigrant neighbors than he would look like most of us here in this room. Um, he would look like he came from the Middle East. So uh, he would have dark skin, dark hair, dark eyes. Uh and uh even, you know, some of the 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 North American pictures of Jesus actually, you know, give him blue eyes and it was probably very unlikely it would be a very rare thing for someone in the Middle East to have blue eyes. On the on the very right hand side you see a picture of Jesus that would have come out in the you know probably in the in the eighties or nineties where Jesus looks like he just went to the hair salon. <laughs> um and, you know, there, the, you know, in, in more recent times, there's been this, this kind of thing to make Jesus your buddy kind of guy, you know, where Jesus is just a normal guy. He's just a carpenter and he has beautiful hair or whatever, you know. But so this picture of Jesus, you know, um, this is the kind of hairdo I would have wanted when I was, you know, like young, you know, nice part in the middle, nice shag cut, you know, that's. Going back to the 80s there, 70s and 80s, you know, you would have had a hair like that. So go Jesus for that. Uh, <laughs> then, uh, of course, then probably most of us have been influenced uh, as well by movies. And we have some pictures from movies here, too. And uh, and talking about Jesus with great hairdo. Look at the one on the left there. Like, I mean, it's got the wind blowing in there and everything. Model Jesus, right? And then Jesus, your buddy down there holding up his glass. You know, These are images that come from popular culture in our time and movie times. And, uh, and Jesus has been depicted over and over, hundred, literally hundreds of times on the screen. He's one of the most popular uh, characters uh, to make a movie about in, as time has gone on. And some notable actors that have played Jesus, Donald Sutherland, Liam Neeson, Will Ferrell, Christian Bale, Jim Caviezel, Ewan McGregor, and Joaquin Phoenix are just a few of the dozens of men that have played Jesus in the movies. And all of these things have contributed to us to give us a picture of what Jesus uh, might have looked like. But of course, nobody really knows what Jesus looks like. No one really has that because no photos were taken of him. No pictures were drawn, um, you know, uh, that we know of. There's nothing that gives a very uh, concrete evidence as to what Jesus looks like. So whatever your image is of him, if it's, you know, somewhat accurate, that's okay. You can just, you know, you can kind of put your stamp on it. But it's important for us to understand who Jesus really was. And we're going to talk about that a little bit today. First of all, Jesus, you know, Jesus the man is the one that we often have that picture of, right? Jesus the man. What we see in these depictions of Jesus is what he might have looked like when he was spent his 33 years here on earth. In Philippians 2, verse 7, 8, it says, He was born as a human being, as a human being, excuse me. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. So Jesus in the incarnation, or when he came to earth, that's what incarnation means, he came to be like us, he was born in the, in the human form, and, uh, and he took on every aspect of that human form. And Jesus went through every stage of that, of course, as we get to Christmas later on, we'll probably talk about the baby Jesus, and Jesus was born as a baby, he was fed by his mother, he was cared for, and all of those things, everything, he grew up in, in just the way that every other human develops. He had flesh and bones just like everyone else. And so he looked like a regular man of his day. He didn't look different. He didn't stand out in the crowd. He didn't walk around with a halo on his head. He just looked normal. In fact, some people wouldn't believe in him. People, especially in his own community, didn't believe that he was the son of God simply because they knew where he came from. He knew They knew where he lived. No, he's just the guy from down the street. He's just the guy that lived over there. He's just the son of Mary and Joseph, the carpenter. He 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 fixed my chair last week, my stool last week. So I know he's he's nothing special. You know, that's how people view Jesus. Because he was just ordinary in every part of the way. And if you saw Jesus today, because Jesus died, rose again, we believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, right? And uh, that's kind of a foundation of our Christian faith. And as a resurrected uh, person, Jesus appeared on earth to dozens of people, 500 people at one time, and they recognized him. So if we were to see Jesus today in the form that he is today, he would look like he did when he was a man. He didn't change. All right? So he gave us a picture of what the resurrection is about, that when we come back to life, when we come back, when we are resurrected because the promise is there, this is just kind of a sidebar, we look the same. We don't look different. All right? So our uniqueness is there. We're not ghosts. We're not anything like that. We, we, we look the same. And Jesus did, but our story today that we're going to focus on actually does not talk is not so much about focusing on what Jesus looked like as a man. It's what he looked like in a different setting. So we go to Mark chapter nine and we read verses two to thirteen, and it says this: Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, and led them up the high a high mountain apart by themselves. And when he was he was transfigured, transformed before them, his clothes became dazzling white such as no one on earth could bleach them and there appeared to them Elijah with Moses and who were talking with Jesus. then Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good for us to be here. let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah." he didn't know. What to say? For they were terrified. Then a cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud there came a voice. This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. And suddenly when they looked around, they saw no one with them anymore, but only Jesus. And as they were coming down the mountain, he ordered them not to tell anyone about what they had seen until after the son of man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what his rising from the dead could mean. They then asked him, why do you scribe, why do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? And he said to them, Elijah is indeed coming first to restore all things. How then is it written about the son of man that he is to go through many sufferings and be treated with contempt? But I tell you that Elijah has come and they did to him whatever they pleased as it is written about him. Okay. It was a weird story, right? This is a bit weird. So Jesus takes Peter, James, and John, just three. Out of the 12, he's got 12 disciples, remember 12 apostles, and he takes just three of them and they go up on a mountain. It's believed to be Mount Tabor or Mount Haran, but uh, it, most people would say Mount Tabor, not that it really matters, but he takes them up on a mountain and they, they go up in the mountain and when they get there, all of a sudden there's this transformation that takes place in Jesus and he begins to glow white, all right? So white, like beyond what you could bleach, Better than that best detergent you use. We talked about a couple weeks ago. Okay, so he's he's literally glowing, and and then all of a sudden, with him appear uh, two other men. Uh, one is is uh, uh, Moses, and one is Elijah. So these three disciples have a a, a really kind of amazing experience encounter with God. Uh, I don't know if you've ever had some kind of you know wild experience, um, sometimes it happens. We hear people talk. They'll share a little bit about what, maybe what's going on in their life. Maybe they experienced something in a meeting, in a church service, or in in a gathering where they had some kind of supernatural experience of God. Uh, sometimes, you know, you hear about these manifestations of the Spirit in different realms. And it sounds a little bit crazy sometimes. And even this story sounds a little bit wild. But it's recorded in three of the Gospels. So three of the Gospel writers actually tell the same story about Jesus having uh, this transfiguration, they call it. And so they call it the Mount of Transfiguration. But, you know, this is these experiences we might have this is just another side note these experiences we might have with god with jesus that are unique are not the norm they're the the extraordinary right and these are not the things we seek after. Peter, James, and John weren't seeking after this. They, but they, they, they weren't looking for it. It was just something that they experienced in their normal course of relationship with Jesus. Most of our relating to Jesus, relating in our spiritual life with God is, is very ordinary. Because just as much as Peter, James, and John saw Jesus, or had an experience with Jesus here on the Mount, Many of their experiences with Jesus were just in the ordinary things. Like, like, uh, like Eric talked about this morning, uh, in the, in the Lord's Supper. In that Last Supper, that was just an ordinary meal they were having, and in that meal there was this 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 unique depth of experience um, and relationship with Jesus as they took the bread and they took the wine together. It's just an ordinary meal, and and so we need to not despise the ordinary things we experience with Jesus and think that we have to have some kind of you know extraterrestrial experience in order to really have had a spiritual experience. Jesus is with us as much in the, in the, in the ongoing day in, day out, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. He's with us all the time. And these experiences are wonderful, but they are not the things we seek after. We seek after Jesus himself. Peter thinks that he, he looks at this and he says, "Wow, this is a great experience." And he says, "Maybe what we should do, Jesus." He didn't know what to say. They were really scared. It says, and he didn't know what to say. So he said to Jesus, "Maybe we should build three buildings here, and we should build one for you, and you know, in memory of you, and one for uh, Moses, and one for Elijah, and uh, and we would have this uh, we we have this place to come back to all the time." And Jesus just ignored that. Uh, Jesus didn't really respond to that. He just ignored that. It's interesting, though, that if you go to Mount Tabor, there are churches there. Even though Jesus didn't endorse this idea with Peter, uh, people from, since the fourth century, there has been a church, um, on the, on the site of the Mount Transfiguration. So, um, you know, we have this insatiable desire to memorialize every experience we have. And try to, we, 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 we tend to build buildings or some kind, put some kind of memorial up, some kind of statue or something like that. And, and then people keep coming to it expecting that maybe if they get there, they'll have that same experience. So there is a church there today. There are two churches actually. There's a Roman Catholic Church and there's an Orthodox Church on the Mount. And the Roman Catholic Church is the third one built since, uh, the 4th century. There's one built in the 4th century, one built in, um, in, uh, 12 the 12th century and then one built in the 20th century 1924 it was completed and uh, so you can go to that mountain and you can go to that church but uh, jesus is no more in that church than he is anywhere else that's just a church and he's here is just as much of course there was this this voice that came from heaven as well that was like when jesus was baptized there was a, a voice that came from heaven believed to be the father who said this is my son and so the endorsement of jesus comes here as we as we see, there, there's this radiance, there's this voice, there's this. It's a message to Peter, James, and John, and to all of us, that Jesus is way more than this physical image that we have of Him. It's kind of like a moment where Jesus is, where, where the 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 veil of His humanity is lifted, and you see once again that Jesus is something spectacular. He is divine. He is God. He's not just a man with, you know, hair and whiskers and, and you know, all the things that we, you know, play around with to give him you know, an eyes, you know, to give him a look in our way. And uh, Jesus, it's, it's interesting what Jesus says to the disciples on their way down. He says, now don't tell anybody what you saw. <laughs> until after my resurrection. He did say you could talk about it after his resurrection, so he did endorse the idea that this is written in the Gospels. But, you know, sometimes it's it's not really a good idea to sh- tell everybody your own experiences that you have with God. Uh, you may have had some really dramatic experiences with God, but, you know, sometimes it's not wise to tell everybody about it. You have to be selective. You have to be careful. Because not everybody has the capacity to be able to experience God in the way that maybe you've experienced God uh you may see things in prayer you may see things uh you may have you may have had some some really unique encounters with god um that uh, might rival even something like this but in if you go telling everybody about it it's, it creates a distance with them and god sometimes it makes people feel bad you know sometimes it makes people feel bad maybe there's something wrong with me because i haven't had that experience i haven't had the same experience as you or you haven't had the same experience as me and, and people feel that they somehow are missing out. And, you know, it, I, I don't know, like, these three guys could have gone down to the, you know, to the other disciples and said, heh heh, we got to go and you didn't, we got to see something. I they probably wouldn't, but how would the other disciples feel if they, why didn't Jesus take us? Why? And so sometimes we have to be really careful and, 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 you know, Jesus really kind of says to them, just be careful what you do with this information because not everybody is going to receive it in the way that you think they're going to receive it. And then they started to analyze it. Okay. Then they started to analyze their experience and saying, wait, what's, what about Elijah was there? And they, you know, they, they remember the prophetic word that Elijah was going to come back before the Messiah, and uh, and so they start questioning Jesus about that. And Jesus says, yeah, the scripture does say that Elijah's going to come, but he says he already came. And, you know, they're probably scratching their head, but Jesus is referring to John the Baptist. John the Baptist was the one that came before Jesus, preparing the way for the Messiah. That was his whole message was, you know, I'm preparing the way here. The, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. And so Jesus understood that what he he tried to share with them the things that they were, you know, trying to analyze and literalize from the scriptures even, the prophetic words that they understood, Jesus said, you need to, you need to open your eyes to see things at a different level, not just by what you, what you can feel and touch. Because in fact, Elijah has already come. And if you don't understand that, you missed it. You can miss the good things of God if you're, if you're so set, we talked about this a few weeks ago, if you're so set on things happening a certain way and uh, you can miss it because this had already happened. Well, I tell you this story because it's important for us to understand or have a clear picture of who Jesus is. And we can take these pictures that we get from art. We can take these pictures we get from the movies. And we can take this picture of Jesus in this glorified, transfigured way. And what does it really tell us about Jesus? Not a lot. So I want to take you to a scripture that tells us exactly what we should think about Jesus and how we should assess who Jesus is. And that's found in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 3. This is what we need to see when we look at Jesus. This is the image we need to have in our mind when we think of who Jesus is. We don't look at the images of art or the movies or even this idea that Jesus is this radiant um, uh, glowing light. That's not the thing that we focus on. But what do we focus on? Because Jesus said, and this is very important, Jesus said, if you've seen me you've seen the Father. When we look at Jesus, we see what God is like. We have a clear understanding of what He is like. So the writer of Hebrews says it this way in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. Long ago, God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. And now, in these final days, he has spoken to us through his Son, God promised everything to the Son as an inheritance, and through the Son He created the universe and heaven. The Son radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God, and He sustains everything by the mighty power of His command. And when He had cleansed us from our sins, He sat down in the place of honor at the right hand of the majestic God in heaven. The Transfiguration, the story of the Transfiguration is a, is a look underneath of the veil of jesus humanity it 's a, it's a look underneath of what what God is like, and, and we see in that we just see this this blinding light, the same as Paul maybe saw on the road to Damascus, the same as Moses saw when he asked to see God, and he just saw this this image pass before him. We see that, but it's not really helpful if we don't understand who Jesus really is and what he really represents. Jesus is not just a a man, and he's not just some divine light. Jesus is God, and Jesus doesn't just tell us what God is like. He shows us what God is like by the way he lives his life. So we learn some things from this writer of Hebrews that we need to understand about Jesus. First of all, he refers to Jesus as the creator. John says that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God in the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God at the beginning of the creation narrative, it says uh, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and uh, it talks about it talks about the idea it uses a plural form when it talks about God, and so there's this idea that God, in all of his Personalities and all of his characteristics was there at creation, and Jesus was part of that creation moment. This is not something Jesus isn't a lesser figurehead in the in the Godhead because he took on the humanity, he's not less than God, he is God. It also says that Jesus is the word. Uh, It tells us Jesus, I think the significance that Moses and Elijah were there is because Moses represented the law and Elijah represented the prophets. And Jesus represents the living word. John again says of Jesus, he is the word incarnate. He is the living word. You know, some people say, you know, the Bible is our final authority, but the Bible is the word. Well, that's not quite right. Jesus is the word. Jesus stands here with Moses and Elijah as the fulfillment of the Bible. That doesn't make the Bible less. In fact, it makes the Bible more because Jesus actually, he endorses everything that's in the Bible and he, he takes that into himself. And when we, we when we look at Scripture, when we interpret Scripture, we need to look at it through the lens of Jesus. Not through the lens of Moses and not through the lens of Elijah. Those spoke as men in their time and they spoke with that limited understanding. As the writer of Hebrews says, in ancient times people saw and uh, through what they saw through the, the writers of the law and the prophets, which was very limited. But now we see through the eyes of Jesus. And Jesus brings to us the living word. And Jesus shows to us what illuminates that word, that light that brings the word alive to us. Jesus reveals to us the character of God. He's that fusion of the glory of God and the humanity, and of, of the human creation. Jesus takes on the appearance of man, but he remains completely God, and he shows us what God is like. You want to know how Jesus reacts in certain circumstances? Look at Jesus. You wanna, you wanna know how Jesus treats people? Look at Jesus. You wanna know how God, what God thinks about people today? Look at how Jesus thought about people and how He treated people. Jesus, what does Jesus think about the Old Testament law and and the Old Testament prophets? Jesus tells us very clearly. Jesus said they're good, but there's something better. Jesus often said when He referred to the Old Testament, He said, He said, you've heard it said, that, and he'll, you know, talking about scripture, he says, but I say, and he raises it up a notch. He never takes us down below the Old Testament. He always takes us above. He, ta- he, he calls something greater out for us. Jesus is the, the the one that we, he's the lens that we look through. There's some things that where people will go and they'll take Old Testament, um, they'll take an old a law from the Old Testament, and they'll want to apply it today. But in order to do that, they have to get past Jesus, and they kind of jump over Jesus. I think a good example of that, and this is my opinion, is um, those that, that stand in favor of capital punishment, where where you have people that use the Old Testament, where uh, there's there's many laws... There are many times where, where in the Old Testament, in the Mosaic law, where it says that people should die because of their sin. They should be killed for all kinds of different things. Some really odd things. And they'll take those Old Testament laws and they'll, they'll try to apply it to today, post-Jesus. But they're not really taking into account of what Jesus... How would Jesus treat these people? How did Jesus treat the c- criminals on the cross? How did Jesus treat those that had, that had sinned? Jesus forgave them. Jesus, Jesus had hope for every human being. And when you look at how Jesus treated people, you would say, would Jesus be the one that would, would throw the first stone? Would Jesus be the one that would stand beside the electric chair or, or, or give that final dose to a criminal? I don't know. I can't picture Jesus doing that. And in order to use the Old Testament, in order to, to justify something today, you have to jump over Jesus. We need to use Jesus as a lens when we look at these situations in life. Now you can disagree with me if you want, and you can, and you, we could talk about it if you like, but I'm just telling you what I believe. And this is the, this is the, the thing that we have to be really careful about. You can't just pick the, out of the law of Moses the things that you like. You can't just pick out the things that you like because they suit you. You have to take everything or none of it. And if you take none of it, it doesn't mean that it's, it's wrong. Jesus said, Jesus said he, didn't, he didn't come to end the law. He came to fulfill the law. But Paul says you either take it all or nothing. You're going to live by the law you're going to die by the law. Or you take it through Jesus. And Jesus said the law is good, but I've got a better way. The law, the law was put there for a purpose, but I have a better way. I have the way of love. I have the way of grace. And, and you can't jump over Jesus and grab something out of the Old Testament and bring it here today and say this is what God, this is what God is like. You can't do that. You can't justify uh, a war using the Old Testament. You can't justify um, um, hatred or racism. You can't you can't you can't take any of these hot topics of our day um, and and say this is what God this is what God is like because this is what Moses said. You have to do it through Jesus. You have to look at you have to look back at the Old Testament through the person of Jesus Christ and how he handled those things. And that's a challenging thing because because you know we have to we have to use that lens and yeah but we do that in community we do that talking about it and we have to be really careful because Jesus what he reveals to us in 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 his life in his in, in his transfiguration moment in his death and in his resurrection is that he is the final authority in all things. And everything that we do has to come back to Jesus. He's the one that we have to look at. He's the one that we have to see. Jesus, in this moment of transfiguration, also gives us a picture of what 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 is is what eternity or what the future looks like when the kingdom of God is is fully um, established. It says in the scriptures, in the book of Revelation, that there is no need for the sun to light because the Son of Man is there. So when we, we see this Mount of Transfiguration experience and we see this light emanating from Jesus, and, and the way they described it is that he was like like he was wearing white robes that were bleached whiter than any 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 laundry person could ever do. But he he there was this glowing, there was this, this powerful light. When Paul experienced Jesus on the road to Damascus, he was blinded, the light was so powerful. So you know, scientists say and I'm not a scientist, but scientists say that maybe the, the, the sun is running out of gas, right? They say it's a star, and like stars, it'll fizzle out at some point in time. It'll burn itself out. Well, somehow I think that God has that perfectly timed for when it's needed, Jesus will kind of replace the sun. Because all the glory of Jesus Christ will be revealed in the kingdom of God, and everybody will see, and he will light up the world. There will be no darkness. There will be no night because the sun is there giving the light. So we see this, this picture of Jesus in this story and we understand that as Jesus in this moment with Peter, James and John, he reveals to us what God is really like. And I encourage you this morning as I just wrap this up and just want to say to you, don't make Jesus too small. Don't make your Jesus fit just the picture that you have of him that you got from the movies or that you get from the, 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 the artwork that maybe you've seen or whatever it is, wherever you get your picture of Jesus from. He's not that small. He's not that small. He's small enough to be able to relate to you and I as a man. He's, he's, he's able to relate to us on that human level. Some say, why did Jesus come as a man and not a woman? Could he not have come as a woman? Would that maybe, you know... Well, in the cultural context of when Jesus came, I suppose he could have come as a woman at different times, but in the cultural context of when Jesus came, if he'd come as a woman, he'd have no respect at all. And that's not that's not a... a um, uh, that's not, t- that's not saying anything bad about women. That's t- talking about the culture of that time and what they believed about women. So Jesus took a position of a normal human being, but one that could actually be listened to. He could take the position of a rabbi. He could go into a synagogue and he could teach and he could talk and people would listen to him. If he was a woman, that never would have happened. So, but Jesus, he takes on the fullness of humanity so he's small enough that we can relate to him. But then in this transfiguration, we just see a glimpse of his glory and his greatness. And in that glory and his greatness, he has enough capacity to be able to love every person in the whole world. He has enough capacity to be able to apply, to to be able to speak to every situation, every circumstance in every person's life. And he is the one that can, with his voice and with his words, he can create out of nothing. And so don't make... Jesus too small. Don't make him some kind of third-rate part of the, of the Godhead that he's just the man side of it. No, Jesus isn't. He's, he's fully God. And he revealed that to Peter, James, and John, and he reveals it to us through the, the gospels that this is who Jesus is. So I encourage you just to think about Jesus and think about some of the things you believe and some of the things that maybe you've been taught and some of the things that you, you wrestle with and, and think about them through the lens of Jesus. Look at them through that lens. You know, if I look through my glasses, I see things differently than I see when I take them off. Things become clearer when I put my glasses on. And I think if you look at life through the lens of Jesus, things will become clearer. Lord, I pray that you'd help us, Lord, to see the reality of who you are and what you've come to do and what you've come to say. Lord, you want to speak to us, you want to to talk to us, you want to help us to understand the, the world that we live in. And I pray, Lord God, that you would make yourself real to us so we could see everything in light of you. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.